Welcome to Impasto, a podcast about two art school ladies discussing the fun bits of art history. I'm Michelle. And I'm Paige. And we are now professional art historians, and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Suggestions and comments are welcomed via email at impasto.pod at gmail.com. All right, Paige. So before we begin, what have you been up to in life? How's your life going, friend? Tell me. Any new interests, hobbies, anything of life? Let me, well, let me hear. I mean, as an artist, you know how we do. We hyperfixate on crafts and yes. new hobbies constantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my new hobby, I have to say, is like painting tiny, tiny, small canvases. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it brings me so much joy. I've done three, but I have a stack of like nine that I have to do. But having done three, I'm like, all right, I am satisfied. <laughs> the next one, please. What about you? What have you what have you been doing? Are, are you hyper fixating on a new craft by chance? I'm always hyper fixating on something as an individual. So lately I have gotten really into embroidery. So you're <laughs> which, a grandma now? <laughs> yes, I've always been a grandma. Um so I'm actually doing that while we're recording because for some reason my brain I was wondering what you were doing. I was like, is she texting during the podcast? No, Michelle is keeping her hands busy because I oh. guess as an ADHD individual, my brain is just like, we need to do something while we talk and listen. So, Well, you know, you know what I think that might stem from, you know, is our Southern upbringing, you know, the, the idle hands do the devil's work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what? That's what I've been, I, I just, I love it so much because it's so time consuming. But it's also so cheap, too. Like, you can, yeah. like, do this and not spend a ridiculous amount of money. Like, this whole yeah. kit it was, like, nine bucks. And it's keeping me occupied for the next 24 hours. I <laughs> love that. Yeah, that's why, that's why I paint the mini canvases is because the big canvases, they expensive. Big mm-hmm. canvases have uh, big price tags. The mini yeah. canvases are a dollar. And yeah. I can paint small. doesn't hurt yeah. my feelings any. So today I will be discussing Artemisia Gentileschi. Nice. An, an Italian Baroque painter, one of the, a very famous female painter of the 17th century. Who will you be discussing today, Paige? Today I will be perhaps Ooh. the first female photographer, Clementina Maud Viscountess Arwarden, also just known as Lady Clementia. Okay, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Sounds way easier to pronounce. <laughs> Lady Clementia. She was born in 1822, so we're mid-19th century. Again, I love this time period. I just feel like there were a lot of ideas that everybody was struggling with. She lived from 1822 to 1865, so she was in the middle of it. She took okay. up the whole the whole bit. She died from pneumonia. Ooh, that sucks. At, at 42, and a lot of people think that it was due to the chemicals that she was working with as a photographer that compromised her immune system and allowed her to get sick and die. We're going to start off on that happy note. She is noted as the first female photographer to receive critical recognition for creating technically perfect prints. Yes. She was the very, very first to start and be actually accepted by, and quite unfortunately, the male population of of artists at the time, the ones that had, like you were saying earlier, access to those materials. But she was the daughter of 
I believe a colonel or a, some sort of admiral, some military dude. Her husband was wealthy as well. She started her photographic journey in Ireland at their estate there. She first started with stereoscopic photographs, moving then to large format standalone portraits. I'm not sure if you are familiar with what a stereoscopic image is. It's basically the Victorian version of a... So she produced albuminum, albumin, albumin, albumin. I don't know. One of those is right. Prints. From wet plate collodion negatives, a method commonly used at the time, which are believed to have led, again, to her cause of death, which is sad. Mm-hmm. She didn't, they didn't really have like cures for pneumonia at this time, right? Like, uh, I mean, it was the 1860s. I don't know what they were doing. You know what they probably did? They were like, oh, we know what you have, but uh, we can't fix it. <laughs> like, oh, that sucks. Maybe you'll pull through. Maybe not. <laughs> Here's some cocaine. Maybe that'll make it better. Maybe some Coca Cola. Yes. So she, like the gentleman that I spoke of um, last week, she and pretty much everybody else that attempted to work in photography at this time had to be technically aware of what they were doing. It's not like now you can't you couldn't just snap a picture and it's over. It was a process from the setup to the ability to take the image in a proper way. And then processing that negative and then subsequent prints oh it's a lot it's a lot and the fact that she was doing it and you know, there's not really a record of what type of education she was working with so where do you think she got her education on the photography she just kind of picked up a camera one day and was like this is cool did she have the funds for it she said she was a contest right yes she so- she's uh i mean she's working with some funding but in I would imagine when she was in Ireland, she met photographers thanks to her her kind of connection, that kind of society and the ability to maybe purchase photography equipment and purchase mm-hmm. photographic prints and then say, oh, well, I'm interested in learning. I'll pay you to teach me. I believe that it had a lot to do with the funding. She was able afforded. to afford to surround herself with the education. Like if she couldn't go to the education, she'd bring it to herself. Pretty much, yes. Moving into her type of style and the kind of work that she was doing, often reminiscent of pre-Raphaelite, again, that avant-garde movement I just love so much. So she was able to do studies that were very reminiscent of that type of work. She actually took over 800 photos in her lifetime, and most of them are her adolescent daughters who go by the name of Isabella Grace, Clementia as well which is kind of confusing and florence elizabeth so those are the three daughters i believe she had 10 kids eight were were girls two were boys there is a lot of talk well there is now sort of as she's becoming more known the poses that her daughters are in are often like brought into question especially by today's standards i would imagine that it's very sally man kind of moment are you are you familiar with sally man no, she, no idea. She photographed. She's um, a more recent artist. She photographs her children, and often they're not wearing any clothes because you know they're like five. Yeah, and that's that's fine. And they're like child pornography, and it's like yeah. nobody's yeah. saying that. You're the one saying that. Yeah, creepo. don't sexualize a child. That's weird. 
I'm like, it's five. The kids most people, five. Most people take pictures of their own kids when they're naked because it's cute. You know, you have your yeah. two-year-old two running around naked. It's cute. In the context of Lady Clementia's work, it was a Victorian time period. They were preoccupied by the idea of sexuality and adolescence. Like, this was something that was, like, being explored. Like, mm-hmm. this weird, like, when are you an adult kind of situation, which is indicative in a lot of work like a lot of pho- photographic work at the time where you've got kids like kind of dressed up and like doing adult things you're like that's a little weird but hey i mean at six like some kids were working in mills so it's not you know what that's a fair point <laughs> i mean it's it's really weird it's like where do you draw the line of like oh well the kid's too young to be seen in you know bloomers in a photo kind of posed seductively but god forbid the six-year-old loses a finger at the sawmill yeah <laughs> But when you look at these images, it's not really sexual. I don't I don't read that into it. And they have a very unique look because it it mixes current historical dress to the time as well as costume. So there are a few that I would like for you to pull. One in particular is called Clementia Maud. They think that it's dated between 1862 and 1863. So this image right here is her daughter. Oh. So this has basically um, some of the most important features that go into her type of work. We see the mirror. We see the natural light coming in from the window. See a woman pose. What would you say every artist has a bit of like a peak in their mm-hmm. artistic life? Would you say this is one of her better photographs? Or is this more of like the winding down in her age? Well, since she died relatively, like, completely uh, unscheduled. Unexpe- yeah, unexpectedly. Yeah, uns- unscheduled. Um, I think that she died in the prime of oh. her work. Oh, so which is just in- getting to that good point, And then she yeah. was like, I all. Yeah, so she actually, so she moved to London in 59. So two years after she started learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they moved into an elegant home in South Kensington. And so she had turned one of the rooms into a studio. It appears from most of the images that are present that you can find online. You can see the same star wallpaper as well as the same window that's used a lot as well as the same mirror. Her studio studio is referred to as a mise-en-scene. She had all these props and, and costumes and stuff that were utilized in order to create most of these images. Always usually uh, mirrors reflecting light back into the space and duplicating the scene like in the one through the window basically and then the mirror is positioned to reflect more light into the scene and back to the viewer but we're not seeing the camera. I so, really of shadow and light that's happening. Mm-hmm. It's many many layers of it. Yes it's well, just so interesting to see like how these really early images were done because this is maybe 50 minutes after 50 minutes 50 (laughs) years or so after the original creation of but at this point it's still very cumbersome and weird in the photographic society of london in january of 1863 and she was elected as a member to the society in the following march so she was involved in the scene and was allowed into the scene and her work was shown 
some form of bazaar for the Royal Female School of Art in London, where she actually photographed Lewis Carroll's daughter of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Yes, tie with some very influential people in the area. So it's very clear as well when you look at these images, like where she is class-wise, where it falls in London and Victorian England. And she's just using that as the back. Yeah, she's just using it for the narrative of her images. 774. Five of her pictures that were donated to the Victoria and Albert Museum by her granddaughter when they went to the museum and noticed that none of the work was there. They knew her grandmother was very influential in this scene towards the end of her life and no representation of her time images that were present at the so where so did she, they go? I have no idea. Well, she had taken, they believe, 800 images. Mm-hmm. And so the granddaughter donated 775. So that's 90% of her work yeah. came to the museum to be part of this collection. So when you look at these images in uh, digital databases, there's often corners missing, mm-hmm. cut or torn, Um Because that just indicates that they were in family albums down at the corners for viewing. And they just didn't care. They ripped them out. And they're like, oh, it's coming out now. But but I've never, like, ripped a photo. No. Like, like, gently. Like, emo girl style. Just yank it out. Regina George style is what I'm Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that is now a hallmark of her images. Like, that's how you can tell that these images are hers. Like, based on those chunks missing so i look at her work i think of um of you know oh woe is me oh i'm just relaxed reclining this strange very obviously intimate moment for someone like not that i think that pull this off but there is definitely something some kind of chemistry between the sitter her children and herself the photographer that probably couldn't have been done before because technically in some of these images by victorian era standard they would more than likely be considered like their underwear like their undergarments like oh you can't i see her ankles oh no you know i can't oh you can't show that here (laughs) So you see her corset, no, but but since it's you know a mother and a daughter, and she's relaxed more, like the model is. Mm-hmm. I just for some reason when I look at these, I think of like Pride and Prejudice for some reason, like the dress Get those. and yeah. like the the updos with the. The outfits, yeah, and like the <laughs> textured or patterned wallpaper with the with the simplistic chairs. It just it reminds me of like Pride and Prejudice, like the newer one. <laughs> yeah, I think that it just genuinely is giving a window into this particular time period and this particular class of Victorian woman, because we don't have other images like this. Like we have Julie Margaret Cameron's work. Who she is very often compared to 
mm-hmm. even though she came first. Julia Margaret Cameron actually only received her first camera in 1863. And that's only two years before Clementina's death. So if mm-hmm. Clementina hadn't died, mm-hmm. she would probably be significantly more well-known than she is now. Mm-hmm. Because she was immediately followed up by Julia Margaret Cameron. Yeah. They aren't compared to each other because of their similar lifestyles. Like, they had a very similar upbringing. They had a very similar introduction into photography. Like, being able to be wealthy and afford these type of things in order to have the the leisure, leisure time to be able to do these types of things. But their approaches to photography was completely different. Like, yeah, Julia Margaret Cameron did photograph friends and family as well, but just not in this manner. It's it's very different. The print quality of her work was bad on purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just a fact that she did want the dreamy quality of stuff. Very similar to Heinrich Kuhn, who we discussed last week. But it's just not, it's not the same as clementina's work at all like the sharpness the technical skill of handling the light that the way she did the choice in costume and fabric to complement such things it's just it surpasses no photographers at this time like i hate i I don't hate to be the one to say it i am the one saying it it's sad though that like she's been forgotten and all these questionable male photographers are like oh my god it's an expression. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Just loved it. Loved them so much. But her work is truly, I believe, among the first female photographers, if not the first. But she is noted as the first to have technically perfected the process of doing it all. You know, which eventually killed her. But she did it. <laughs> and she did it so first. Maybe what was it the perfect process then if it killed her? That's <laughs> eh, a good question. But I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> okay, Paige, are you ready for a palette cleanser? I sure am, Michelle. Are you? Yes, let's move on to some art history trivia. Trivia. All right, Michelle. What is the term for a painting executed entirely of shades of gray? Your options are impasto, grisaille, imprimatura, or stereochromy. I'm going to say stereochromy just because chrome. <laughs> no. <We're> wrong. <laughs> wrong. Okay. What is it, friend? It is grisaille. Mm-hmm. It is a monochrome painting technique in which a painting is executed entirely of shades of gray or another neutral color. Oh. All right. Mm-hmm. What artist sold a portrait of Leonardo DiCaprio for more than $1 million? Oh, yeah. Evan Penny? Bernard Pra, Elizabeth Payton? Or Nikki Rosado? Ooh, I don't know. So it has to be a... Um, uh relatively recent mm-hmm mm-hmm uh, it was nine years ago uh mm, 
Uh, Penny Rosado. Penny Rosado. Is that right? <laughs> that wasn't even an option. Ah. It wait. was Evan Penny or oh. Nikki Rosato. But the actual, those are both wrong. Oh. The actual answer is Elizabeth Payton. Okay. Elizabeth Payton's portrait of Leonardo DiCaprio, entitled Leonardo, sold at Christie's New York in May 2013 for just over $1 million. Dude. I wonder what it looks like. Right? What was her last name again? I already already missed, missed it. Elizabeth Payton. P-E-Y-T-O-N. P-E-P-P-E-Y. P-E-Y-T-P-E-Y-T-O-N. Quit, quit being a turd. No. Is it bad? What? What is that? Uh-uh. Girl. No. Oh, no. Okay, I'm looking it up. No. Yeah. Wait, wait, which one? I don't know. There's like four or five of them. Oh, no. She's really, okay. I can't tell which one it was that that it's not the swan man. one. I know it's, it's not, not the, swan. the swan one. Is it's it the one swan. with his titties? Oh, Lord. Or is it the 11th hour? Dude. That's okay. It's, wow, she really likes him. I mean, it's a little creepy, but okay. I think it might be this one. That's depressing. Yeah. It's not as, an, as an artist, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Girl, you you do you. I'm not. It's not for me, friend. It is not wow. for me. Oh, she's painted. Con- <gasps> Bitch, she did Twilight. <laughs> no, look it up. Twilight, Elizabeth Payton. No. Oh no. Oh no. Oh. My heart is breaking. Oh, do you see actually- it? Actually, the one of them in the tree... That's the one I'm talking about. Actually, never mind. Far away, it wasn't bad. <laughs> and then you got up close and to then, it. And uh, like, the closer worse than the I movie. Look, the more disturbed... Oh, Lord. Actually, you know what? Edward is spot on. <laughs> Kristen Bell. Actually, you know what? It's like exaggerated versions of that. She got that buck tooth face coming in he got them scary ass colon eyes with his crooked ass nose you know what like okay. it's not not wrong is it a million dollars though is this a million dollar artist michelle no i think i would just like appreciate this on facebook with one of those depressing this, ass captions this is one of those things that uh, i just don't understand it looks like fan art it looks like a teenager went home and was like, let me bust out my Crayola markers yeah, and draw yeah. this. They're uh, alcohol markers? Like they're yeah. alcohol markers? Like, no. No, I'm just talking straight up markers. Crayola. Oh, Crayola oh, marker. No, I wouldn't put her like to that Uh, point. I mean, the other stuff looks like cr- it's Crayola marker. We it's... might need to cut this part out because I'm like ripping. 
I just, I don't like that. It just pisses me off. Because it's like, why are you making this you much the one, money? Yeah, when there's better artists out in this world. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to cut out me shitting on her. Because this is shit. This is shit art. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's just, I don't like it. I just, it's just weird. It's like, what are you doing? Are you doing fan art? Okay. Moving on. Is it my turn? Yes. Alrighty, Michelle. <laughs> what painting technique was employed by Caravaggio, Ribera, Georges de la Tour, Joseph Wright of Derby, and other painters in order to focus a spotlight on certain areas of a painting? Your options are Fortage, imprimatura, quadrada, tenebrism. I thought, in my mind, I was like, I asked chiaroscura. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's not even an option. So maybe primatura, because you said Caravaggio, and I think it's, no, oh no. I got Um, it wrong three times. It is tenebrism, Michelle. It is a compositional technique. Using very pronounced chiaroscuro. So I was right. Mm. But just not quite right. Just not quite right. So in this type, um, it in some areas of a painting, they are kept completely black. Allowing other areas to be strongly illuminated. Usually from a single source of light. The technique was popular during the Baroque period. And Caravaggio is usually credited with the invention of the style. So, like, the calling of uh, St. Peter, I believe, is the one where Jesus is shrouded in darkness. hmm And there's guys sitting at a table, and he's like, who, me? Who, me, Jesus? That one. You know what I'm talking about? No. The calling? You've not seen the calling of St. Peter? The calling of St. Saint- no, I haven't. I have not seen. I'm- Girl. I might have seen. Let me look at it. Oh! My yeah. bad. My bad. You know what? Good lord. It's a narrative painting, and I knew that, and I've seen it, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I actually studied this for like a whole week. Whoops. Oh my god. Yep. Whoops. So it's okay. like it's a spotlight. It's like a spotlight thing. I know yeah. that like at the time they're like, oh, it's lazy. You're only you're only painting the lights, and he's yeah. Have you seen the Caravaggio technique done? Like painting like Caravaggio painted? I have not. It's, oh my gosh, there's a YouTube video. I believe there's two. There's one that's narrated by a lovely lady. And then there's a gentleman that does it. And I don't think he's narrated it. But it's insane. Like they're doing a, um, like a, a replica of a, mm-hmm. one of his other works. Oh my God. Because very, very few Caravaggios were left unfinished. Mm-hmm. So they... Can't really tell what what he do was doing in there. Paint by numbers situation. Yeah, like they couldn't they couldn't tell, so they had to like do a bunch of um, X rays because Caravaggio did stuff in like a really weird way. Anyway, he was so not like any of the other painters at the time because he was like doing them super fast and he didn't sketch it out. Mm-hmm. He was just like going at it. Moving on to the next trivia <laughs> question, friend. Anyway, what artist? Believed he was a reincarnation oh, of his dead brother. Jesus Christ. It's probably one of those weird ones. 
like right. Picasso or like I, Dolly or I got four answers for you. Yeah. Choose one, cross your fingers. I got it wrong twice. Vincent Van Gogh, Casimir Malvik, Salvador Dali, Jackson Pollock. I don't think it was Pollock and I don't think it was Van Gogh. Because I feel like they would have been way about that. I don't know the, the other guy, the second name. I would say Dolly because he was like one of my first guesses anyway. I feel it like was. I remember that. I feel like you, I remember that. You <laughs> did. You are actually correct. Did it, didn't he like die really young and then he like immediately, like he was just the next kid. And he's like, yep, I'm him. Even though he was like six. But anyway, nine months before salvador dali was born so, so when like, he was made conceived oh. <laughs> his older brother who was also named salvador died of gastroenteritis enteritis gastron gastroenteritis i guess yeah, i get yeah that something when he was five dali's parents took him to visit the grave and told him he was a reincarnation of his brother Oh my the god. The artist came to believe this was true and once said that his brother was probably a first version of myself but conceived too much in the absolute. Images of So he died. <laughs> yeah, images of his deceased sibling appear scattered throughout his later works including portrait of my dead brother. You know what? I feel like that was kind it's of It's a little beginning. on little on the nose. <laughs> his brother his brother was freaking two when he died. Jesus. I think that's a little lazy on the parents' part. Right? And Just also like, a little creepy. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Dolly was they literally freaking this, weird, the man. Month that their child died, they were like, let's bone and create another one. And we're going to name him the exact same thing and tell him. Well, he's the same person. Like it hmm. says, it says here. Well, according to Google, I'm not sure if this is true, but um, brother died August 1st of 1903. Then Dolly. Oh no, 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 no. That's right. Dolly was born in May of 04. Immediately after, they say that uh, funerals make you want a bone. They do. So, when you're sad, you get really. So I guess extra, extra sad. They'll just pieces, copy yeah. paste. You know what I'm guess. saying? Sounds I don't know. Like really traumatizing, though, right? And like, then you like tell the kid, he's like, "Yeah, you're you're him." Yeah, he's five too. Not like well, when I he's guess older, they I can they, like <laughs> conceive it. You know, they needed, I guess, to make sure that he was going to live past the two marker, so they didn't have to try again. <laughs> See, I was Is thinking like the mental. No, I was thinking more like mental maturity, because like as a five year old, how are you going to take that? Your brain can't comprehend. Yeah. And he's well, gonna be like, cool. Uh, according to Salvador Dali, in his past life, he thought too much in the absolute at two years old. Right? <laughs> two years old. He was too too it concerned. Sounds, it sounds like trauma to me. I don't know about you. Like, but are you okay? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't think he was okay. Like, judging by the artwork he created. Blink twice if you were held captive as a child. <laughs> well, you know that one picture of him and he's like, eyes as wide as they can possibly go he's got, got the crazy <laughs> eyes going on and he was just like i'm not blinking i'm staring I'm not down. blinking it's All surrealism right. today i will be talking about art emisia gentileschi i hope i'm pronouncing her name correctly she was an italian baroque painter considered among the most accomplished 17th century artists 
initially working in the style of Caravaggio. Oh, we love to see it. She began producing professional work by the age of 15. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. She okay. She worked in Rome, Florence, mm-hmm. Venice, Naples, and London. Like the big names. Yeah. What year she, is this? So she was born in 1593. <gasps> Dang. Yes. Okay. Yes. So she worked for big names such as the Grand Duke of Tuscany and Philip IX of Spain. She was brought up by her father, the painter Orazio Gentileschi. She trained alongside her three brothers in his workshop where she proved to be the most talented of his children. At the age of 17, Artemisia was raped by the painter Agostino Tassi, an acquaintance and collaborator of her father's. Mm. After this, there was an infamous trial in 1612 mm-hmm. where Artemisia was subjected to extreme questioning and trauma. Tassi was found guilty and banished from Rome. Oh. But his punishment was never enforced. Uh, uh-huh. Following that trial, mm. she left. Rome for Florence, where she was then married and had five children, where she was also where she also established herself as an independent artist, becoming the first woman to gain membership to the Academy of the Arts of Drawing in 1616. Wow. She returned to Rome in 1620, by which point she had become an extremely sought-after artist with a house full of cardinals and princes wanting pictures from her. Wow. Not a great way to start. Yeah. So yeah. she's coming from like a very gritty, mm-hmm. like I had to make my way. But her dad was a painter. Is that correct? Yes. So she was okay. actually encouraged. So well, unlike good. a lot of female artists, she already had those connections in place. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. encouraged her. He supplied it. She had a workshop for her. She already had that kind of background. Well, that's great. Yes. Okay. So she had a good footing. She was able to get up there relatively easily, I want to say. Like, she had a supporter, and that's a big yeah. aspect. Arguably, I say that I came to know of this artist from her very infamous painting of Judith beheading Holofernes? Holofernes. Holofernes. Judith slaying Holofernes. I think that's the one that sticks in everybody's, mm-hmm. like, forefront of the mind. Like, the the image that is associated with that act in the Bible, like if you have any sort of pop culture, art history knowledge, like that is one that comes to your mind immediately. This one, I like. You're right. It's very unique and super graphic. Like when you see this this photo, you're like, wow. So it's two women holding down a man <laughs> as one slices open his throat with a sword. There's blood gushing onto them down the sheets. There's it's pooling. He's like on his back with like covers, like barely, you know, over him, like he was asleep. The, the women's faces are so determined, right? One wielding the sword, it has like this determined look on her face. Mm-hmm. The maid to her right is also very adamant about holding this man down so she's successful. With the 
background of Gentileschi. He, you know, with the rape story, a lot of art historians really like to picture that you know, this is her outlet for her trauma because a lot of her paintings are violent aspects of violence against men. Mm. So a lot of people like to think this was her way of taking control of what had happened to her and perhaps mm -hmm. even envisioning, you know, murdering the person that raped her. I, mm. I wouldn't blame her. Yeah, no. Yeah. A lot of her paintings very much go, you know, hand in hand with the Baroque style. There's usually, a lot of her paintings, there's a single source of light, deep shadows surrounding figures, close figures to us um, with foreshortening extremely dramatic theatrical minimal backgrounds it's typically like drapery or something dark oh like the thing that we just learned about yes yeah yes. what she mostly painted was historical biblical subjects with mm -hmm. her own style very much like caravaggio is that because they were commissioned that way or was that because that's what she was the subject she was wanting to paint I'm not sure. I would like to think, though, it has 100% to do with the fact that at this point, fine art was historical and biblical art. That's probably the only way yeah. she would have made money, would have made a name for herself. It's yeah. Like going with the flow. Like she's already a woman. She's already distinct yeah. in that nature. She doesn't need to like try to distinct herself even more mm -hmm. it's most likely what people wanted and she mm -hmm. was able to give them what they, i mean oh yeah they were probably shocked too that a woman could be like oh these are some pretty gruesome pictures you know yeah. like, these are graphic violent photos or paintings and they're like wow this is impressive her skill is amazing you cannot miss that because there's another piece to this painting the beheading of Holofernes. But there's another one and it's where they have his head. Judith is looking out of the tent, it looks like, as the maid kneels down and is putting a bag over his head and they're looking out and they, she has her hand out. She's in a yellow dress. So it's like another depiction of it, like after they have committed it. And it's this one's so intriguing as well. They're in the middle of escaping leaving the tent and it looks like they've both looked up startled like they've heard a noise and they're about to be caught and with this one this is where the foreshortening is is noted because her arm is raised up toward us and there's the corner of the table so it, it brings these figures closer to the viewer and again i just love like how violent it is there's a literal decapitated head on the ground of this photo and the sword, the knife, I guess, that she's mm -hmm. holding in her hand is still dripping with blood. It's, it's so great. There's the single source of light. There's the candle there. There's the deep, extreme shadows. Very theatrical, as we were discussing. I really enjoy her work. And and the fact that this woman, not only was she a female artist in the 1600s, she was like, yeah, I'm a mother of five and I'm also a hardworking mother making a name for myself and I'm traveling wherever, whenever I want. Most people struggle with that today. Can you imagine 400 years ago when it wasn't normal for a female artist to one, travel the way she did and also to be such a success. I love to use her as an example of the differences of where connection and being raised 
can get you. So for her, she had a very supportive father who had a background in the arts who encouraged her and she then had a husband who I'm I'm assuming you know let her follow her passion granted her that freedom and she was able to do what she wanted to do and loved I feel like that's a huge difference the, she's yeah. so successful because of those allowances there's a famous article called why have there been no amazing female artists I think that's the name of it the person who writes it is like, well, there, there's a reason why there have been no great female artists. Like, yeah, there are some in history, but the reason they're not known is because they were not given the permissions that men were entitled to or grew up in. Yeah. But, and, and I guess Artemisia uh, Gentileschi is a prime example of where women could have been had yeah. we been given those privileges that the men had and i just yeah. i love her 400 years ago this this amazing woman was just breaking the the norm and doing so well at it like we still know her today yeah that is true i know that um like looking at her work it's all very like you said stemming from that very traumatized place like that very deep dark place of trying to let it out and i'm sure that these were the commissions that were asked for but she is using them as an outlet mm -hmm. i remember the controversy that went behind the mary magdalene in ecstasy like i remember reading about how it's like oh well you can't show her like that you know it's just <laughs> like oh no and her self-portrait the one where she's in the green dress and it's like the portrait is like just out of frame Mm -hmm. Like, she's continuing to paint on the edge of the image. Like, that one, where she's at, like, such an odd angle, but it just solidifies that she knew what she was doing. She's out <laughs> here, and she's, like, doing this amazing self-portrait in a way that it's, like, it's a self-portrait of me painting a self-portrait, but look at me in my cool angles, yes, and, yes. and look at my foreshortening. <laughs> look at my chiaroscuro. <laughs> Using fancy, fancy artistic, artist definition of words. And these words. are so big, too. And yes. I think that, that that's one of those things that we also forget in our modern age, looking at our small 10-inch laptop computer screens, is mm -hmm. that these images, the weight they have also due to the immense size, I'm sure yes. was, was very shocking for everyone seeing these like very graphic all of a sudden you know it becomes very real the death of Halifernes mm -hmm. oh, and it's like humongous and you're like having to confront that and I guess like that's another thing um that helped elevate her as mm -hmm. like a serious artist a professional was the size of her paintings you know uh, yeah. scale has a lot to do with the success of artists mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that she was able to successfully portray these scenes these graphic scenes so beautifully and i mean down to the last detail was just yeah. Impressive. Girl Crush Wednesday. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Girl Crush Wednesday. <laughs> I think it's like woman it's Woman Crush Wednesday. Woman Crush Wednesday. That's who she is for my my Wednesdays. Oh, she is. I mean, she's definitely got an an insane skill level that isn't talked about, I guess, as much now. When when we think biblical historical paintings, 
Like, yeah, of course, you know, you think Caravaggio's yes. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she paints very much in the same manner but i mean it's she's great right i feel like great. she was a good one for this week that is that is a good one we have a lady boss <laughs> lady boss <laughs> lady i know no. i think i'm sensing a trend between us i love women who give the middle finger to men in society and you yes. love photography like i, I mean, think that's our trend <laughs> well i do like photography seeing as how i am a photographer michelle <laughs> i know i'm just and i'm like oh art history because i am art history major yeah <laughs> so you're you're more broad spectrum like on all the levels and i'm like uh photography because a lot of people fine art usually tends to leave out some of the greater of its people who work in it and mm-hmm. it's only after several several years are they actually acknowledged as as fine art doers just it's so it's so different to sit here and have the mass knowledge that we do now at our fingertips like it's mm-hmm. just a google away going you know oh who is that one photographer that took pictures of women in trees oh that's you know ann brigdom but not everybody knows that um if you happen to know who that is get excited or if you don't know who that is also get excited stay excited stay excited (laughs) folks those names like they were so influential at the time that everybody knew who they were there's a lot of commercial success that is involved in like early photography but it's like just dropped off the map so like during her time i'm sure she she obviously had great commercial success to win these kinds of commissions and to get employed to do these types of work and I guess you know trusted to do these types of works but you know if you sit down with somebody and you're like who painted the most famous rendition of Judith beheading Halifernes and they're gonna be like Caravaggio Leonardo da Vinci Michelangelo oh Jesus any literally any of the Ninja Turtles because that's their extent of the knowledge (laughs) it's so painful we should do that one day we should do the Ninja Turtles. The Ninja, Ninja Turtles and how they how they fit in. Yeah, we should uh, do that. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that about wraps it up for this episode, everyone. Sure thank you so much for listening yeah. to our ramblings. Please give us a rating on Spotify or Anchor. We look forward to hearing from you. Any suggestions, comments, please send them to impasto.pod at gmail.com. And yeah. check out our socials. Yeah, we're, we're on the socials. We're on TikTok and we're on Instagram. Um, we're just trying to vibe. That's it. <laughs> so uh, on, on that note, y'all um, stay out there, do your thing, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>